positivity allowed inside my day. Nothing but blessings, health, wealth, and love. And the creative spark to express all of the above. I'm talking no limits. See, the stacks have already spent it. And the life have already lived it. The dreams, they are just beginning. I mean, no limits. Prosperity through our retirement. Humanity saving the environment. The highest level of the flyest shit, yeah. Hey y'all, you are listening to another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl, where we discuss all things concerning self-development and bettering our spirit, but from the homie perspective, somebody that's going through the journey day by day, just like you. Hey y'all, it's your girl Maria, and we are back with another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl Podcast. I'm really excited to bring this interview um, to you all. I interviewed Mrs. Natalie Days, and for those who may be familiar and and wonder, I feel like I've heard that name before. You have. If you were born in the 80s and 90s, or you may have had children growing up in the 90s, you might be familiar with a show called Gullah Gullah Island, an informative yet entertaining show um, that brought the Gullah Geechee culture to our living rooms and to our households um, for a number of seasons, and Mrs. Natalie Days and Mr. Ron Days were the creators as well as the stars of this show. And I was super excited to interview her because taking the show, you know, we have the show in terms of what they did, but Mrs. Days is so much more than just that. I mean, she and her husband, they were already cultural storytellers. They were going around doing shows about the Gullah Geechee culture way before Nickelodeon caught on and decided to showcase that um, for millions of people to see. Mrs. Days is an artist. She's a storyteller. Um, she is, she's amazing. She has such an awesome spirit, awesome energy, just full of vibrance and just love and grace. And you can tell she's wise. Like, she is awesome. Sarah, thank you so much for letting me borrow your mother for that hour of interviewing. Because she, man, I'm still buzzing off of that interview. I feel so, I feel great. Hopefully you guys feel just as good when you hear the interview. But another project that she has going on, besides her commissions and her workshops and her traveling um, one-woman show about Harriet Tubman, amongst other things, are the Gullah Geechee Wisdom Cards. And for those who are not familiar, um, that's similar to Oracle Cards, where you basically, um, they're intuitive cards. You basically shuffle them. Um, It does come with a book um, to guide you in terms of the meanings of the cards. You pull a card or make a spread, whatever whatever you want to do. And you interpret the meaning of the cards based on the booklet and based on what your intuition says. So I was really excited to interview her about that as well as her own um, journey as an artist and her forms of expression and what she feels is important to her regarding culture and creativity and expressing such creativity. So I am super, super excited to share all of this with you all. Here we go. Hey, Maria. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I am good. Thanks for asking. I'm so excited to interview. Like, my inner child is, like, jumping up and down right now. My inner child does that a lot, so, you know, good. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes my outer child does that. It's not pretty, but it's fun, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Right. For those who don't know um, about Gullah Gullah Island or even about the cards. Please tell everyone who you are and what you do. 
Okay. Well, my name is Natalie Dave. I am uh, I'm a creative catalyst. I am involved in everything creative, study of creativity, creative acts, how other folks can be creative. Uh, most of my work is around um, visual arts and performing arts. I'm a storyteller. I use you know both paint and um, and stage to tell stories. And how did you get into art and storytelling? Wow, I just grew into it. Um, the visual art all my life. Uh, my early memories are of my daddy uh, drawing pictures for me. And when I was in kindergarten, I was this little girl who drew pictures for everybody else. Um, I could tell, like, they would draw somebody, and I'd say, that's not what people look like. And <laughs> so I would draw, and they, after a while, I was the one where they'd say, they'd come to me and say, draw the lady, you know, draw the horse. So I, I've always done it. Um, I never considered that I might do it professionally, really. Though for a little while in high school, I used to do pastel portraits for people. Um, but that's just a very important part. I, I always, hmm. visual art is about seeing, and I always could see. I could always see what things looked like. I, I could always see the light and the shadows and the concaves and the complexities of color. And so for me, the visual art is about interpreting that on a, on a, on a surface. The storytelling, I say often that I was born a storyteller even though I was a pretty shy little kid, but I grew up like many, at least many young black children did in, in, I grew up in the 60s, I grew up in the church. And when you grew up in the church, you were expected at certain times to recite. You know, you had to learn your Bible verses, and you had to learn whatever. And my mother's children were going to do it well. You know, my mama made sure, no, 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 you were going to pronounce it properly. You're going to do it with expression. So that was part of being a storyteller. And the other was listening, that I was a shy little kid and sat up under the grown-up yeah. and listened. And so, uh, you know, you heard lots of good stories as long as you didn't interrupt. <laughs> you interrupt, they they send you out. So I learned just sit there. If I sit there, Grandma and Mama and them would talk about it wasn't gossip, it was just sharing. <laughs> and I would sit up underneath. <laughs> and so even now to this day when I am um when I am telling a story, um and it's and it's an elderly person, it's it sounds like my grandmother and my grandmother. <laughs> I can definitely relate to sitting around while the elders told their stories. Because the minute you would try to chime in, I would always get to stay out of grown folks' business. Matter of fact, go play. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and 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 the and the lesson is there. Just sit. I tell children, I said, just sit there quietly. Don't say anything. You will learn so much if you don't ask questions. At that point, you know when they're yeah. going to kick you out. At least I have no idea how it is now. And I know now more adults more adults are open about sharing things with children, perhaps. I yeah. certainly was much more open sharing with my children. I talked to my children about everything. But when I was growing up, that was not the case. You had to be stealthy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's sort of how I became one. And then I, uh, I I married my husband, who was a writer, is a writer, and he was doing book signings. And he said, "Hey, you know, why don't we why don't we like take this book he had written and turn it into a, a theatrical presentation? And this is your part." 
and that's how I stepped into the stage that way. Oh wow! So it seemed like it just it just clicked. It just seems like everything just organically flowed it, into where you absolutely, are. Absolutely, absolutely. It was like um, I I've said it many times. Stepping on stage to tell a story was like coming home. Oh. It was not a plan I had, but um, it was just this absolute rightness. Yeah. One thing I noticed that you mentioned about your childhood is that it seems like you were raised in an environment that fostered what you wanted to do. Like, it seems like it was just yeah. perfect. I, I I guess so. I mean, I, I have never thought that that was the case because if it, it did so, but it, it did so indirectly. Certainly my parents were not saying, why don't you go into the performing arts to be an artist? <laughs> my parents were not saying that. They were saying, you're a smart girl, you know, study medicine. You know, they, they were they were not encouraging the, a creative life um, as a way of making a living at all. But they had inadvertently trained, trained me for this life anyway. I understand that. I can, especially the, you know, how about you go study something different and you have a passion and you're like, but I want to do this. Yeah. Like, okay, I get it. <laughs> When I went to college, I told my daddy that I wanted to major in communications, and he looked at me, and he was a very quiet man, but he said, do you know how many little brown girls would starve majoring in communication? Oh. So I did math science um, because that's what smart people did. And after I'm 12 kidding. years of dropping in and out of school, I ended up with a degree in writing. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the degree you wanted to do? That's no. When I well, when I first started, you know, I didn't. I, I followed the direction that I was given, and so I I thought I thought about medicine, but I didn't really want to do. Uh, I didn't want to be a doctor. I didn't. I was more interested in health. So then I decided physical therapy. So when I went to school, undergrad, that was what I was focusing on. But I couldn't. I couldn't. For some reason, you know, I. I I would go for a while and drop out. Sometimes I dropped out because of money. Sometimes I just I realized I just didn't have a passion in it. When I went back, by the time I went back to school, uh, I was married. And um, I decided to change to history because my husband and I by then were already doing historic programming. And I thought, well, it'll be smart to do history. And then I was in a, in a, um, in a workshop, and a professor said, wouldn't it, what would you do, you know, if folks say, if you could do what you wanted, if the education was your own and you could do what you wanted, which to me was this brand new idea, <laughs> like, oh, oh, if I could do what I wanted, I would write. I had always wanted to write, and I thought that I would be, my passion was writer, but I knew it made no sense because that was my secret passion. Um, and so I got an undergraduate degree in writing. Um, there you go. And I've got a, a master's degree in creativity studies. So either either completely useless or completely useful, depending <laughs> on how you look at it. But that sounds like one heck of yeah. a journey. Well, you know, there there's this way, you know, you're raised and they say things like, you know, well, what are you going to be when you grow up? And there are always like these job things that someone has to 
that you have to walk into this thing that someone has already created and you must fit into that slot. And so you have to train to fit into that slot. And that's what you're raised. I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to drive, you know, trains. I'm going to be a lawyer. There are all these little pre-shaped slots for you, and you are supposed to pick one. And uh, I didn't fit in any of them. I could have made myself do some, but I don't fit. So here you go. I can totally relate. You just spoke a word to me. And I'm sure a lot of other people who are working nine to fives who feel like the round peg in the square hole. They don't they don't give it the slot. Create creativity catalyst artist storyteller. It is not on the form. It's not <laughs> there. Now I noticed you said um you and your husband, uh, you guys were doing historical programming. Now I know for some of the yeah. um people that are familiar we we know some of that as Gullah Gullah Island, which was on Nick Jr., correct? The television show? Correct. Yes. So it seems like there may have been some other programming. Did you guys do anything else oh, before you got to TV? Oh, some years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's sort of how we got to TV. Um, my husband, he graduated from Hampton University in journalism, and so for many years he wrote for a local paper, and he began to write stories of the people in his community. My husband is Gullah Geechee, grew up on St. Helena Island. And he began to write stories about the folk he knew. And eventually he thought, well, look, what am I going to do with all this? And he decided to write a put together in a book. And it was his first book. It was called Reminiscences of a Sea Island Heritage. And it was a, not a big book, not a, well, you know, not huge. There weren't thousands upon thousands of copies. There were probably about 5,000 or so. But we began, he began to do book signings and um and the book had oral histories, basically. These are the things the elders told him, and old photos and old songs. And folk would say, sing a song from the book, tell a story from the book. And and soon I began to do that with him. And we just sort of began to, to explore Gullah Geechee culture and share it, at first regionally and then nationally. So we traveled around the country um, singing the old songs and telling the oral histories and sharing history and cultural information about Gullah Geechee culture. And we had been doing that full time since 1987, probably before, well before you were born. Um, <laughs> and we did that, and it was, uh, I mean, my first baby, Sarah, who you 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 have been in contact with, she was a little road baby, stopped long enough to give birth, and then back on the road with Sarah, <laughs> traveling all over the country. Um, while pregnant with my second child, we met a woman who was actually down on St. Helena Island to produce a movie. The movie never got made. But she was also um, working with Nickelodeon trying to help them to develop diversity in programming. And the friend who introduced us told her about us, and she said, well, I've heard about you guys. Maybe we could do a show about you. And that's how it happened. We weren't looking for TV. We weren't knocking a door. It never crossed our mind. She just said, maybe we can do a show about you. Um, a few months later, I get a call, and they say, can you fly to New York? And I said, no, I'm nine months pregnant, no. <laughs> so she and her two partners flew down to Beaufort, South Carolina. At the time, the town was so small that they got lost finding us. They just stopped some man on the street and said, do you know how to get to their house? And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and they came, and they hired a camera guy, a regional guy, and they followed us around for a day, took the film back to um, New York, and 
that's just how it went. My son was born. We flew up there a few weeks later, and we had a show that day. That never happened. Um, no agent, no manager, nothing, just grace, just grace. Wow. Now, I noticed you said it was Sea Island. What is the name of the island that your husband's from? Well, there are several islands. My husband's from St. Helena Island. And there is an island called Sea Island in Georgia, but there are several islands along the coast of South Carolina, Georgia, and and, and North Carolina, Um, lots of small islands. And um, they're all, most of them, they fall within what's called now the Gullah Geechee Cultural Corridor. And these were islands where rice was largely grown, where many of the Africans came from a specific area of West Africa that was known for rice production, brought here specifically because the coast was a good place to grow rice. And then because of the islands, which were pretty isolated, I mean, the only way you were going to get off that island was if you were getting ready to swim. Um, They maintained their sort of African culture on these islands. Um, the Gullah Geechee culture is an Africanized, some would say, culture of the West Africans who were brought to these islands and isolated here for many, many years. And so that the language patterns and the practices were in some ways West African. So uh, the stories that my husband was collecting was from many of the people and the elders. And one of the blessings of that book is that he collected stories of many elders who didn't live very long, but who therefore their stories were their stories live on. Mm-hmm. We didn't really live very long, I'd say, after he published the book, but their stories live on. Now, I noticed you said the rice production, um, rice is a, is a staple. What are some other um, symbols or traditions that are um, known throughout Gullah Geechee culture? Well, let's see. Um, well, yes, rice is, is a big part of, of the diet still. Um and some of those, some of these things are simply a matter of regionalism. You know, the fact that folks eat a lot of seafood because it made practical sense to do so. You had a net you could eat. Um, uh, sweet grass baskets are associated with this region, and these are actually West African coil baskets that, when, the, when our ancestors were enslaved and brought here, they still knew how to make West African coil baskets, and they have passed this down in their family for hundreds of years. So that if you come to Charleston or Mount Pleasant and some other places along the coast, you will find people making West African coil baskets, people who have never, ever been to West Africa. But it's been passed down, and it's generally passed down through families. Um, then there are tra- just some traditions that, that we talk about in our Gullah Geechee Wisdom Cards, and I know we'll talk about that, like respecting your elders, like self-sufficiency, um, you know, at, at, at one point, and still, it's very important if you can own your land. And a lot of the Gullah Geechee people um, acquired land after, like during Reconstruction, and 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 kept it as best they could, and passed this land down through their families. Now, development is threatening this, and has threatened it. I mean, that would be a whole other very long conversation how development is impacting um, the Gullah Geechee um, actual land, but. Um, Respect for the land, respect for the elders, being self-sufficient. Um, a lot of a lot of Gullah Geechee people are, are entrepreneurial. You know, take care, create for yourself what you need. Um, sometimes, you know, folk talk about some of the old crafts. A lot of the old crafts are have not been passed on, unfortunately. Um, but you will hear very much Gullah Geechee in language patterns. Um, 
very much so. Now, I'm a, I'm a Kamiya, and, and that means I, I came to a Gullah Geechee community from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, but my husband, he's a native, and that's, they would call him a Benya. So he Benya. He was born here. And um, so for many, Benya, Gullah Geechee may be a first language for them. And there are still lots of young people who speak Gullah Geechee, and, and they just code switch, you know. They speak Gullah Geechee amongst themselves, like Sarah, Sarah will. Um, and then when they're in places where Gullah Geechee is not understood, they'll switch to standard English. So those, those are just some of the things that, that are um, – spirituality is a big part of Gullah Geechee culture, um, whether it be traditional spirituality as in, you know, most folk are Baptist or whether it is a, a, a more open and deeper kind of spirituality. And one of the things that struck me um, was the fact that most of the Gullah Geechee people I know, while they may practice a traditional religious spirituality, have absolutely no problem also embracing a deeper, different kind of spirituality where they are in contact with their ancestors. Oh. And um, and I, I love that. I love that because I was brought up in a very kind of rigid, there was a, religi- a religiosity that was different than the people who I know who, you know, have absolutely no problem, you know, saying, you know, daddy came talking about that. And I love that. That's actually pretty cool. Um, you know, most times we encounter um, people who might be so submerged in a particular ideology they may not want to consider anything other than that Mm -hmm. so I think that's pretty cool that in that culture you can do both and it's not a problem most importantly yeah I have a um my my husband had a relative um he was known as Dr. Buzzard uh (laughs) the whole (laughs) other story um but (laughs) he was also a deacon in the Baptist church you know and that's just what the deal was (laughs) that he 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 dabbled in a different type of I, I guess practices but um he also was a deacon and it it wasn't a conflict for him that's refreshing to know that that exists i know i'm pretty sure there are many people out there that that are like that but it just seems like community wise i think that's pretty cool especially with it sounds to me like golagichi the the community is very tight knit it, 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 yes, you know, yes, it is. I mean, you know, as in any in, in small or tight community, you know, uh, you got ups and downs, but it is a tight-knit community, and that has its, its pros and its cons. The pro is that um, when you belong to the community, you belong to the community. The con is that if you're an outsider, a kumya, you may stay an outsider for a long time. Oh. You know. It, it's a community that is very tight knit. That is, um, folk <laughs> well, folk know each other and they know each other's stories, and that's lovely. And they know each other's histories. There's ups and downs to that, as with any small community. But um, it's home. It's home. When I got here, even though I'm a Kumya, I knew I was home without a doubt. Felt it. I felt like, and I know this sounds crazy to some folks, and I I came from a very fundamentalist um, religious upbringing, more so than a spiritual upbringing. And I 
promise you, I'm walking through the town my first week here, and I feel like I'm being watched. It's like I hear voices in my head that said, where have you been? It's about time you got here. We were waiting for you. Oh, I felt it like words. Yeah. So here I am. This is home. There's no other place that's home. Mrs. Davis, if you don't mind me asking, where are you from? I was born in Rochester, New York. Um, but I, you know, I was born in Rochester, New York, raised between Rochester and Syracuse up in that region. But um, I often say, you know, we were just sort of like expatriate Southerners. All of the black people I knew were from the South. My family was from the South. But, you know, they had moved north for various reasons, economic, um, political and economic reasons. And so we were sort of like in little southern communities in the snow, you know. (laughs) And so like everybody I knew was like, you know, in the summer they went south to see grandmas or grandpas or whatever. Um, We didn't so much because my grandmother would take the Greyhound bus and visit all the children. Um, But um, so I, I grew up. So it's funny, when I moved south, when I came south, and folks would say, well, you're from New York. What do you know about grits and whatnot? And I said, well, um, <laughs> y'all, didn't, y'all didn't even think grits. And my, my parents were, my parents are southern. So um, it was uh, it, it was just, you know, it, it was home. There were some things that were an adjustment. I didn't grow up speaking Gullah, so it took a while for my ears to, to hear it. Um, you know, but now they do. And now it comes out of my mouth without me thinking about it. <laughs> That's cool. And I just noticed you said Benya and my inner nine year old has to ask, is that like the Benya Benya Pollywog from Gullah Gullah Island? Absolutely. Yes. That's why he was called Benya, Benya Pollywog. It meant it meant native. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Wait, I know that. I know that. Oh, you know yeah. that word thing. We tried to sneak a little language. Le- we snuck some language lessons in there, um, <laughs> like Kinky to thank you. We yep. did that throughout the show. With, I remember the that show, one too. <laughs> what we love is that the producers of the show, the people who created the show, and they created that show around us. Um, when they decided to do the show, they sent um, this great guy. His name is Well Hyman. His name is or Cad, as we called him. They sent him down to Beaufort, South Carolina, and he hung out with us for about a week or so. And he went to church with us, and he hung out at our house, and he said, we know you're not TV actors, so you don't worry about it. You just be you, and we'll work. We will make this as authentic as we can. So, you know, Ron and I shared things about language. We would record music and songs that we actually sung with our kids, and we would send them this back-to-day cassette tapes of us singing songs with our kids. And um, so it was, It was. you know, how do, and they, so they were so sensitive. How do we include language? How do we include the culture? And they were really cool when we first, they first started doing the show. Um, they were like, they had us, well, the ch- children will say, Natalie or Ron, and we were like, no, no. There's a respect for elders in our culture. No child is just going to come up on us and call us by our first name. Mm-hmm. And and the producers at first were like, well, you know, but that's old-fashioned. We're like, no, we're sorry. No. <laughs> there will be a handle on that. It will be Ms. or Mr. or Auntie or Uncle, but they will not be just, you know. So they were so open to authenticity. 
Um, we taped it in our town. All the outside stuff was actually on St. Helena Island in Beaufort County. Um, people like Ranger Mike and 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 Mister <laughs> and the Shrimper. The Shrimper was really he really is Mister. My brain, my brain just dropped his name. I could see him so well. My husband grew up next door to him. He really was a shrimper. Um, oh wow! <laughs> Ranger, yeah, he really was a shrimper next door. Um, Ranger Mike really was the park ranger at the park down the road. Um, if you go to a shoe store, it really is the shoe store in town. When there was a parade, they were really our high school band. So our community, the community, the Gullis and, and, and the Buford community came together to help make that show. I thought it was really cool. That's so cool. Like, art really imitated life, for sure. Like, yeah, like that was it, it really did. Got. It really was. It went out on the shrimp boat, it was his work. It was a working shrimp boat. It was just, you know, and when they would shoot in Buford, often there was no script. It was just, let's see what happens. And so that was just very cool. That's cool. Um, just transitioning to you being an artist and a storyteller, what made you want to include culture in your artwork? Art comes from who you are. Um, it wasn't a decision to include it. It's simply what came, what comes out. Um, I remember once I used to have a little shop. After I finished Gullah Gullah Island, I opened a, a shop on St. Helena Island called Miss Natalie's Workshop. It was cool. It was a whole house, and anybody could come in and create. I had one room that was all beads and jewelry making, and I had a kiln out back, and I had a big workroom with tables and light. And I would also paint things to sell. And I had a customer come in once and ask one of my employees, why does she paint? black people. And I thought, well, that is like the weirdest, I, I don't even understand what you mean. I'm confused. <laughs> I don't know. What are you saying? <laughs> you paint where your heart is. Yeah. Um, so the work that I paint, and, and it's not that I only paint black people, but the work that comes up out of my heart right now is work that reflects our strength and our beauty and, and our, and our holiness. And, um, so that's what happened, and it's rooted in this community, and it's rooted in the Southern culture and in my own family story. That's where my art comes from. So it wasn't a, a decision. I know. I will. It's just that's where it comes from. I've been doing a series of collard green paintings that I started as an accident, like a divine accident. Um, I decided to paint something that was near Christmas. I wanted to paint something. I just bought a big old bunch of collard greens because I am the collard green cooker in my family because I'm good. Yes. <laughs> they were on the table, and I said, oh, I set up a camera, and I decided to do a self-portrait because I didn't have anybody to paint. And I set up the camera, and I left the greens on the table, and I loved how they looked. So I started painting the greens into the painting. And it was like I fell into them, and then it was like, it was like all of a sudden my daddy was there because he grew all the collars in my, he grew collars on my life. And he, you know, they, my parents, they taught me how to cook collars. And and then soon I just started thinking about how every, I don't know, every time, every time my family gets together, there's collard greens, but there's a big meal. And and throughout our culture and our community, we come to gatherings and somebody brings the greens. And so the greens began, They first they started out as just, you know, showing up in paintings as as green 
And then they began showing up in paintings as crowns and as gowns and as wings, and they just became these magical beings. And so I just let them take me where they're going. That's so cool. That really is. You feed my spirit. Well, it's interesting you said that about feeding your spirit. Um, Spiritually, how does it feel to be creative while integrating your culture within that? Does that that make you feel a particular way? Is there – like, I'm just curious to know what that process is like. Wow, so hard to ask what the process is like. I will say, I will say that, that creativity is my religion. Um, this does not mean that I don't uh, go out and, and um, have, have worship experiences with, with people in places. But the act of creating is an act of acknowledging the creator for me, the creator in myself, myself as creator, um, homage to that which created me, and also um, sometimes it feels like magic because there will be, uh, when I paint someone, and and right now I focus on portraiture, it's like without my intent, without conscious intent, I paint their spirit. So that when I finished a a portrait, I can see who they are in a way that I couldn't necessarily, I'm looking at them with my eye and I don't necessarily see it. But when I look at the portrait, I go, there they are. And um, I, you know, I don't always know how it's going to happen. I will tell you, I I have run after folk on the street who I don't know and say, excuse me, excuse me. I know this sounds weird. I swear I'm not weird. I'm an artist. And I need to paint you. Can I paint you, please? I have done that. That's cool. You know, luckily, you can pull up my phone, go to my IG page, and say, "Look, see, I'm really an artist for real. I'm not just a weirdo. <laughs> see, you can see some of my work here." And I have learned, though, if I do that, take their picture right then on the street, because if I say to them, "Here's my contact information. Get in touch," they never do. But if they agree to it right then. I can get some lovely pictures. Sometimes, you know, I'm just using my phone, and I'm taking, and I'll take a bunch and bunch and bunch, and I'll bring them home, and I'll and I'll look at them, and then I'll see, you know, where I'm going with it. Sometimes I'll hold their photo for a year or so, and it'll, you know, I'll sort of wake up with, okay, that's what I'm doing here with that. So, you know, if, if, I, if someone encounters me, I, you know, I don't know that you should just let strangers take pictures of you on the street, but... I will say to any of your listeners, if it's me, let me. <laughs> so you heard it. If Miss Natalie Days comes up to you and says, hey, look at my IG. I'm a painter. I'm an artist. Let me paint you. Just do it, okay? Just let her do it. Just do it. <laughs> now, if people yeah. wanted a commission, could they could they reach out to you for commissions if they wanted to be oh, um, painted? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let me say, let me say about that. I like, I like to do commissions, but I'm going to put a, um, I'm going to add here, I'm an artist, and I'm a working artist. So occasionally what I'll get is, can you paint me, my cousin, and my, and my great auntie, and I got like 18 different photographs, can you put them all in one picture and paint, and can you do it for $100? No, I cannot. Okay? <laughs> but let them know. I can't hear you. <laughs> I will be happy to do commissions. It gives me great joy because to me it's a, it's an act of worship, and and I see 
I see the holiness in in my subject. So, yes, please reach out. Most definitely. So, about the uh, the Geechee Gullah Oracle cards, how did that idea come about? Well, I am married to this really wonderful brilliant man, um, Mr. Ron. And sometimes people, I guess, will take a look and say, is that really your husband? Yes, that's really my husband. You don't tell your kids? Well, a couple of them. So uh, this project came about basically because of a brainstorm. Um, Ron and I and another friend of mine who is an um, officiant, she does, she does spiritual officiation, we were chatting and she said, you know, we need, Let's get together and brainstorm until we can come up with something new to create or something. So we were just, we met together in a park one day, a few bottles of water, and we began talking about what it is that, where is our passion, what do we want, how could we do it, and could we actually create a product that met that need. So we were thinking product-driven. And one of the things that weighs on my heart, and particularly my husband's heart, is that while Gullah Geechee culture, if people are becoming familiar with it, they're often misinformed or or sometimes people take the culture and commercialize it in a way that is detrimental. And we, so we have been talking that that was our thing. How do we do something that, that honors the culture and also educates about the culture and is, is authentic and is based in, you know, in truth? And um, my husband was for a little while on um, the Gullah Geechee Cultural Corridor Commission, which was a commission which was actually um, established by the government to support and <laughs> to support and, and and promote Gullah culture. Now, you know, there's ups and down politics are what they are. Uh-huh. But one of the things they did was was have meetings throughout the whole region, community meetings. What's important to us people? What is it that we want to say about Gullah Geechee culture? What do we want to say about who we are? and where we are, and all of this was put together in this plan. Now, implementing that plan is, 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 is a big job, but what we thought we could do was let's talk about the main tenets of the culture, and let's do it in a spiritual way. And we came up with these cards. Um, and my husband, who is, here's the thing about my husband. This is one of, the, one of the many things I love about my husband, is that he will say, you know what? And, and so we brainstorm this, and we're like, this is a great idea. And he said, okay, I will go home and do the research and, 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 and do this. And then he came home and he did the research and he did it. And that's my husband. Now, there are people who are always saying, I'm getting ready to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm sitting to get ready to sort of start and do this. That is not my husband. <laughs> my husband says, I will do this, and then he does this. So it was a matter of a couple of months and he brought me this is where what this let's look at this. So then we, you know, the group of us were talking, we looked at this and and, and we, we we prayed on it and we you know, it's like this does this does this is it does it align with the tenets of our culture? Is it truthful? Is it educational? Does it address these areas? And when we felt that we had done that, um then it was up to us to design you know, we designed it. And I am an artist so I, I, I designed all the cards myself with my artwork and um my, uh, I had a brief job as a uh, working in marketing as a graphic designer, which was great fun. So I was able to do the cards and design the cards. And uh, 
we were really pleased. And then, you know, we didn't know how we were going to do it. And we had never crowdsourced anything. A little scary. <laughs> but once we had done it uh, and, and felt really good about what was there, I had prayed on it and felt like it, it met that it met that criteria as inauthentic and 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 honest. Um, we did a Kickstarter, and um, you know it was all at home. Sarah and Simeon they videoed for us, and we did it, <laughs> edited on my MacBook, and put it out there with much prayer. <laughs> and uh, oh, thank you, Creator! It was funded. And they're ready to go now. We've got them back, and uh, we have spent the last couple of weeks. If you walk into my house, you must walk through the box maze. <laughs> boxes, uh, boxes everywhere. <laughs> boxes, boxes, honey. Except for the front room, right? You know, I was like, I keep keep the front of the house looking closed. Um, <laughs> but uh, we have been, you know, they're in stock, so people can they can go to my website and buy them. Um, and they are, you use them like you would any type of oracle cards where you, you know, you shuffle the cards in, in, in a quiet place, in a quiet space, you pull one, you take out the guidebook, and you see what that has to say for your spirit. And hopefully it will be both educational and, um, and, 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 and a guide. That's so awesome. I got to get my pair. I actually missed the Kickstarter um, by 12 hours. I don't know what I was thinking, and I was so hurt. I hit up Sarah and was like, Sarah, please tell me this is not up. She was like, no, you know, it's done now, but they're going to be up for sale, um, you know, when things um, are ready to be shipped. So I know you so guys. And so they are. They are? Yes. So if I buy them today, they're good to go. You buy them today, they're good to go. You buy them today, within the next day or so, they will ship to you. From the pile of boxes in my room. <laughs> well, I'm just going to let you know now, Mrs. Days, please put aside my deck because I have to have okay. a deck of those in my life. I love Oracle cards, and especially with them being educational, I just think that's that's something that we need more of. A lot of the Oracle cards that are out, some of them are culturally focused um, for people of color. So and then I just mm-hmm. feel like it's it's a good thing universally for those who – may want to get in touch with a different culture or learn more about it, that's a good way. And for those who just, you know, want a, a card with somebody that looks like them representation-wise, I think that's also a good thing. So these cards well, are like... Well, find folks who look like you. <laughs> Thank I you. Need, like, so you I'm can going do to it. get these cards. Good. It's on my it's on my website, Natalie Day's Art. And um, you go to Natalie Day's Art and you can get them. I should put them on Etsy too, but I just didn't need to feel like having them all over the place. I understand. And just as a, a point, y'all, this Kickstarter, I think, what was the, the, the asking was, what, 8000 Yeah, a little over 8300 8, and um and thank goodness we overfunded. Oh, up until the week, though, up until the week, <laughs> we were like, I was like, Ron, Ron, what do we do? And my husband, he's so sweet, he's like, Nancy, this is, this is supposed to happen, don't worry. And like, I know, but, you know, somehow worry feels like work. Well, you know, but that's not my job at this point. You know, our job is to trust, and there you go. That husband sounds so amazing. It sounds like the world needs more Mr. Rons out there. It does. It does. Um, I love, I love, I love this man. I love this man. We've been together 
for 32 years this year. Ooh, yes. Congratulations. I know. Thank you. And, you know, um, the first time I saw him, uh, my cousin had brought me to his church, and he said, there's this guy, he's singing. He opened his mouth. It was like, oh, my goodness. Um, and we have been singing together for, you know, more than 30 years. We've been singing together longer than we've been married. And uh, it's a good thing. He also bakes, except for right now we're trying to be real healthy, so he's not baking a lot. <laughs> and he bakes. He's, do y'all hear that? Get you a run <laughs> in your life. Get you, no, a, get you a run. He sung me up the aisle at my wedding. Get you a run. <laughs> <laughs> now, just going back to create, uh, just creatively, for those, I feel like everyone has an inner creator in them, obviously. Um, but for those who are dealing with blocks or struggling to kind of express that, what advice would you give them um, to embrace their inner storyteller or just to get out of that block? Huh, good question, because a lot of folks ask me about um, about the blog. And when I'm doing a workshop, I I I say let's start let's start simple. Let's just start simple. You have a desire. There's something you want to do, and or maybe you don't know, but but generally there's something you want to do. And so, you know, what inspires you? What speaks to you? It's like if you just oh, wow, I wish I could write, but I can't. Say, so, well, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to just promise ourselves. To start something. We don't have to finish it right now. Just start it. Don't judge it. One of the most freeing things to me as a writer was having someone say, just commit to writing and knowing that nobody will ever have to read it. Just commit to picking up a brush knowing that mm, you don't ever have to show it to anybody. It's the judgment that scares us. You know, is it going to be good? What if people don't like it? What if I'm bad at it? But if, let's say, no one will ever, ever, ever judge it, what would you do? Play. What if you're just playing, you know? I used to have this workshop um, on St. Helena I told you about, and I would have days, you know, I would call them Got Paint Monday, <laughs> Tie-Dye Tuesday. Kids would come in and just, like, jump into it. Adults would say, is this right? Is this right? Am I using the right pen? Am I doing it right? I don't know about this. This is good. Is this any good? <laughs> and every now and then I would get a kid like that, and I would know when I got a kid like that that someone had been putting a lot of pressure for them to do things right. But creativity is not about doing it right. It really isn't. It's about initially I would say if you are scared, if you feel like a blocked creative, just play. Just give yourself permission to play, you know. I would love to be creative. Uh, okay, I'm not creative, but I can play with this clay here. I can play with these ingredients in the kitchen. I can play with, you know, these words on a paper. This is a game. It's, I'm just playing. And you take some of that, you know, the judgment off of yourself because it's the judgment that will shut us down. I mean, that's, that's, that's what I would say, like, just right off the bat. Um, I have a tendency when I'm in the studio to listen to books. I will listen to, um, I will listen to books on science. I will listen to mysteries. I will listen to business books. And I will do it because for me, it shuts down the part of my brain that's going, is this good? Oh, no, what if this isn't good? Oh, no, what if they don't like it? It's engaged. And then I just paint. I let my spirit paint. And I, you know, I let the part that's going, the critic, the critic is trying to learn something in the book. 
I mean, that's one of the things I do. Everybody can't do that. But I would just start by saying play. It's okay to play. That's some really good advice. I actually had to write that down for me in case I get blocked because doing a podcast and trying to find ideas and and just try to do other other like ways to branch out and express, sometimes you can get blocked. Like, you know, everybody goes mm-hmm. through it. So I definitely think that's going to be some good advice that people can use. Myself included. I'm not above any advice. So that was awesome. Okay, good. Now, is there anything else that you want people to know? Okay. Um, Let's see. I'm sorry, my husband just came and asked me something. Um, Anything else I want people to know? Well, you already started. I said everybody is created. We just have to be open to to um, where our, our place is, start with play. Um, what else would I like people to know? Oh, but there are all kinds of ways to use story, and I have just recently begun, and I'm looking for more opportunities to my plus to use story and facilitation. I just recently did something with um, a university department that was attempting to redefine their mission statement, and we use story and narrative. And, honey, I play every time I get out on the stage. Or in the, I play. You know, so we we got together and we sort of played our way to to an answer. Um, so I guess I would say that, and I'll buy some cards, um, support black artists. Uh, I don't know what else would I say. Sing. <laughs> I sing every day. Sing. <laughs> if you don't know any other else to play, it doesn't matter if you don't think you can sing. You can sing in your house by yourself. I sing all the time. My husband sings. My daughter sings. My son sings. My parents sing. My grandmother sang. My brother actually is a professional singer. Oh. We all sing. So you didn't ask me about that, but it does something for your spirit. So even if you're just home by yourself in your car, um, <laughs> I think any day with the song is better. So there you go. Now that I think about it, didn't you and Mr. Ron sing the theme song to Gullah Gullah Island? Yeah, yeah. I knew it. I was like, wait, wait. <laughs> I could have sworn because I was like, at first, you know, when you're when you're young, you don't know any better. I was like, well, maybe they're lip singing, but then I was like, no, I don't think they're lip singing. They keep singing the same voices yeah. in all these songs. This has to be them. <laughs> <laughs> it's us. Yeah, we sang, we sang all through it. You know, and the kids, those were everybody you saw that we were really singing. Nobody was just making it up. No Millie Vanilli lip singing. No Millie Vanilli lip singing. No, no. We've been singing together. We've been singing together for a long, long. Gives us great joy to do it. That's so awesome. Now, how can people get in touch with you? Oh, I'm not hard. You can get me on Facebook, Natalie Days. You can get me on Instagram. I'm Gullah Mama. Um, I have two websites uh, that need to be updated because Oh, gosh, doing that, I, I, I forget. <laughs> but I have two websites. One is Gullah, I mean, excuse me, one is Natalie Day's Art, and one is Natalie Day's. So um, Natalie Day's at this time focuses on um, me as a performing artist and a facilitator, and um, there's a request form there. So if you want to bring me to your community, I do a one-woman show on Harriet Tubman um, as well as other storytelling, so you can find me there. Um, Natalie Day's art, you can buy art there, including the Gullah Geechee Wisdom Card. Like I'm going to do. So remember, y'all, it's Natalie, is it D as in David, A-I-S as in Sam E? That's it. 
that's what I thought. So remember, y'all, these Gullah Geechee Oracle cards are everything. Like, this is not an ad. I, this is not even like a I got paid to plug or anything. Like, I've been watching these cards for months, and I'm super happy that they're out because, again, I love cards. So this is this is something I've had my eye on. I can't wait to get mine for sure. Well, I will. I see your name in my in the box. I'll send them out, honey. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for interviewing with me, Mrs. You Day. Must. This is amazing. You have no idea how happy I am. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just grinning from ear to ear. Oh, my gosh. My inner child is, like, freaking well, out right now. Well, thank you. It has been fun. And once again, if you'd like to reach out to Mrs. Days, you can do so. I'm on Instagram. She's Gullah Mama. That's G-U-L-L-A-H-M-A-M-A. And then, um, as she mentioned previously, her websites are Natalie Days and NatalieDaysR.com. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. I definitely enjoyed it. I Man, I had I had a ball. I definitely had a blast. I am open to all feedback, good, bad, ugly, indifference, comments, concerns, questions. You can definitely hit me up to um, express anything that's on your mind at spiritualhomegirl.com. I am on Instagram and Facebook at spiritualhomegirl. I am on Twitter at spirithomegirl. I'm also on YouTube at Spiritual Homegirl. I will be doing a, a vlog or vlog. I hate saying that word. It's so weird. But I'll be doing that the whole month of August, every day. So if you guys want to find me on YouTube and check out me being somewhat awkward as I get used to posting videos on a daily basis for the next 31 days, <laughs> you can do so at Spiritual Homegirl as well. I'm super excited to um, do new things. You know what I mean? Like, you know. Life's too short to do the same thing, you know. You got to break out of your comfort zone and, you know, figure out new lanes and go on new journeys, you know what I mean? And you already know that it would not be an episode of Spiritual Homegirl unless I gave you all a note of gratitude. Thanks again for checking my show out. Out of all the tens of thousands of podcasts that are popping up that are currently out, you choose to listen to mine for the hour or so that I have here, and I really appreciate y'all for doing so. Thank you guys so much for giving me your feedback. I definitely appreciate that. I'm open to all comments, concerns, and questions. I'm open to um, any show ideas you guys may have. I know I have lots of ideas, but I would like to know what's on your mind, too, in terms of what you guys want to hear for Spiritual Homegirl in the future. Also, thank you very much for sharing the episodes. I super-duper appreciate that. Um, Shout-out to Deep Cotton 87 Shout out to uh, Likeable Asshole. That's the homie. Thank you. Um, shout out to Curtis J. Shout out to Trackademics. Trackademics made my theme song. He's the producer of the theme song. He has a um, project out called Fashion that's really fly. I've been listening to that for the past uh, two or three days. Now, Trax is very, um, he's genre fluid, so he doesn't really fit into a box which is a great thing. But this project is a little house-centered. Um, so those who like anything house music or house-ish, this is definitely going to be the project to listen. So you can definitely check him out um, at Trackademics on Instagram. And also, shout-out to Taj. Happy birthday, Taj. Tara, I know it's Leo season. Happy birthday to you. Another shout-out goes to Good News Radio. Thank you guys for... Um, I was on there. I just called in just on like some, some random stuff about a couple of weeks ago. And they shouted me out. So thank you, Keith, and everybody at Good News Radio. Y'all should check them out. They have some pretty hilariously entertaining commentary on the topics that they <laughs> that they provide every Monday and Friday. So check them out as well. 
Um, and that's about it, y'all. My name is Maria. This has been another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl. Trust the journey and trust yourself. Peace. Be thankful where you at, don't forget where you come from I'm talking no regrets See the past and past us by And the future's on the horizon But right now is where we live life Ain't no rejects All you have to do is believe Just asking you receive Everything is meant to be